We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I gotta get down. I gotta get down. Or I can't work. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Ron Coomer is going to join us in an hour. Looking forward to talking to Coom. It's a good man. It's a good man right there. We've uh, talked a lot with you in hour number one about the Cubs bullpen. I'll give that to you again, maybe in the final hour, my vision of the, the shutdown multifaceted Cubs postseason bullpen that is starting to come together. We will talk about that. We will talk about Hot Stove Cool Music next hour, a little bit, and what that was like on Friday night. Very special evening, as always, with quite the clash of of interesting music and baseball humanity. Very cool and raised a ton of money for Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein's charity, The Foundation, to be named later. Uh, so that was that, that was a blast, and we'll talk about that. A little bit later in, the, in this hour, we'll talk about giving up on young players or not. But let's start right here with Lucas Giolito, because we must, because he's demanding it, because he is the best starting pitcher in the American League right now. In terms of how he's going right now, I don't even think, you, I don't even think that's, that's debatable in terms of starting pitchers. I mean, it it is just preposterous what the man is doing. Jake Odorizzi has been a revelation in Minnesota. Jose Barrios is a stud in Minnesota. Justin Verlander is as good as he has ever been. And if you want to tell me it's Justin Verlander over Lucas Giolito, okay, because Justin Verlander is Justin Verlander. That's a Hall of Famer. And his whip remains 074 on the season. <laughs> is that good? You should laugh is, at that. that. That's video game stuff. We, right there. we should all laugh at that. Lucas Giolito has a whip of 0.92. That's third best among starting pitchers in the American league. And the guy who's second between them is Chirinos of Tampa Bay. Who's only started seven games. It's only thrown 69 innings. I mean, Giolito is outrageous right now. It's pretty amazing to look and see Frankie Montas there as well, by the way. Frankie Montas, part of the Jake Peavy trade way, way back when in terms of coming to the White Sox from the Red Sox. And then Montas, how did, how did he get to Oakland? Was it, was it with Marcus Simeon? Remind me how Frankie Montas ended up in Oakland. I think there was a stop in between. Dodgers, right? I want to say it was Dodgers for um, for for Clay Thompson's little brother or big brother. Adam Sudzinski looking it up on the other side of the glass, and we appreciate that. Frankie Montas from the White Sox. I think he went to the Dodgers first and then to Oakland. Either way, he's right there 
He's number six in starting pitcher ERA in the entire American League. Twins have two guys up there. They're not just all homers, the Twins. Odorizzi and Barrios, as I mentioned, are both top ten. And Martin Perez not far behind for the Twins either at 16th. Garrett Cole is in your top 20. He's awfully good. Anyway, the point is that Giolito is just outrageous and has been outrageous for a while now and does it start after start. A couple starts ago, remember he gave up the three-run homer in the first? That was it. Good night, everybody. As good as he was in May, and he was the pitcher of the month in the American League in May, he now has thrown 15 innings in June and allowed zero runs. (laughs) So he's better in June. Yesterday, he had 11 strikeouts through five innings. He struck out the side three times to Giolito. And that was all of his strikeouts. That's it. He was done with strikeouts after, after five, but he went seven and two-thirds. Aaron Bummer came in through, got one out. And then Alex Colome did his job in the ninth inning. But Giolito's just, just been crazy, crazy good. And if you've been listening or following along, you will remember the development. You remember the development of Giolito and what we've seen this year. And it's multifaceted. It's a confluence of, uh, of, of different events that have happened here. It's, it's the mental maturation. It is the mechanical changes uh, with which he was helped by his high school coach um, over the offseason. And um, that high school coach, by the way, who, who also was the coach of Jack Flaherty, who pitched yesterday for the Cardinals, and Max Fried, who's pitching today for the Braves. All three of those guys were on the same team, Harvard-Westlake out in California. So, And then Giolito also moved a little bit on the rubber, moved to one side from the other side. And then there was the usage. It's a guy with a ton of pitches, throws a ton of different pitches. And the start when it all clicked is when he simplified greatly. Through 105 pitches, almost all of them were fastballs and changeup. It was the breakthrough. Fastballs and changeup, and not the two different kind of fastballs he's thrown, the two-seamer and the four-seamer, just the four-seamer. Because his four-seamer is so good, it has carry, which is, can be described as the absence of drop. It looks like a rising fastball. No fastball rises, but his doesn't drop. It's a swing-and-miss fastball. And then the changeup, which looks exactly like the fastball, but then dies. Okay. So that's all he threw. 101 out of 105 pitches, he threw fastball and chain up. He found it. He simplified. He found his attack plan. And he only threw four breaking pitches that day. And that established the template. And then he did that again and again and again. I mapped out the five-inning start for you when he, when he struck out the side in the fifth, just before the rain came, and it was his first quote-unquote complete game. And I went through at bat by at bat how many different Breaking balls he threw, and it was very, very little. And in the fifth inning, when he struck out the side, it was 13 pitches, all fastball and changeup only. No breaking ball. He found it. Simplified. That's his attack plan. Then, guess what? Game to game, you can adjust from there. In the past, they had been mixing in some curveballs the past few starts. Yesterday, the first time through the order, Lucas Giolito said it was fastball and slider. Fastball and slider only. So that's a different speed than the changeup, and it's a different kind of break than the changeup. And he was getting strikeouts that first time through the order. No changeups that first time through, or very few anyway, and they're because they're waiting for it, because now word is out on his attack plan, right? 
So now you have to make an adjustment. So he threw fastballs and sliders. Then the second time through, he started using the changeup. Started mixing it in. Fastball, changeup, slider. Maybe just changeup, slider. Now they don't know what the hell to do. Is it the changeup that dies and comes into my feet if I'm the right-handed hitter? Is it the slider that breaks a little and goes away from me if I'm a right-handed hitter? Or is it the fastball that just blows right by me and up at the chest and looks really good? Looks like it could be any of those pitches, but it's not, and I better swing or else it's a strike. This is pitching, folks. This is Giolito. Oh, man. This is what it looks like when somebody figures it out. And then they develop, and this cat-and-mouse game goes on. Before uh, you hear from Lucas Giolito, Adam, fill me in. So, yeah, Montas went to the Dodgers, right? Yes, it was a three-team trade with the Reds. Oh, there's Todd Frazier. Is that correct in that trade? Uh, no, this no? was it was Frankie Montas okay. Monta- and Micah Johnson and Trace Thompson from the White Sox. Okay. They went to the Dodgers. The Reds got Jose Peraza and Scott Schiebler. Shit, yep. And Brandon Dixon. Okay. Oh, and, and then and then Montaz ended up in Oakland. Okay. Well, no, it, it, and that same deal, that is when Todd Frazier went to the White Sox. So that, that's what they okay. got. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's what it was. So Montas came in the big Avi Garcia, Jose Iglesias, Jake, Jake Peavy trade three-way. Ooh, three-way. And then two years later, another three-way, Kinky, and he went to the Dodgers. The Dodgers, uh, and that was the three-way deal where Todd Frazier came here. Then he went from the Dodgers to the A's for Rich Hill. The Dodgers are good. They're smart. Pro scouting and teaching and everything. Rich Hill's been a great Dodger. That was 2016. But, hey, they gave up on Frankie Montas, and now look at Frankie Montas. But it took him this long to find it. It's crazy. How long do you wait for a pitcher? We'll talk about that more in the next segment. But anyway, back to Lucas Giolito. So I, 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 I've just kind of mapped out for you what he's doing pitching-wise, and it's just so awesome. Then there's the personal side. Maybe you remember when we had Jason Benetti in here. Was that last week? I think it was. We had Jason Benetti, and that was such a fun conversation. Jason is a wonderful guy. Very, very smart, very multi-layered, very genuine. Uh, go check it out at the Hit and Run podcast. It was hour one last week if you didn't catch it. But as we were talking about Giolito, um, Jason Benetti said, you know, he kind of he has a nerd swagger about him. And I loved that phrase because he's talking about how Giolito's into the numbers. He likes being smart. He is smart. He makes no bones about it. And he's also gangly. And kind of a little awkward. He looks like he's all limbs just kind of flying around. I believe that Benetti said he looks like one of those balloon men that they put out in front of the tire store and just blows in the breeze all day. <laughs> That's what Chilio looks like sometimes when he's pitching or even when he's not. So, I mean, that's that's beautiful. Be who you are, right? Be who you are and embrace it and giggle about Wacky, it. Wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man. <laughs> that's yeah. what you're talking about, Wacky, right? waving, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man. That's too long of a nickname for Lucas Giolito, but the image is is gorgeous. Thank you, Benetti. So I passed that on to, to my, my friend Danny Parkins, and Parkins interviewed Giolito earlier in the week. So this is how, this is how the world goes around, right? Um, I passed that on to Parkins via Benetti, and then Parkins talked about nerd swagger with Giolito earlier in the week. I come from a background where I I grew up 
and all I wanted to do was go to my dad's office and play video games because that's what he did for a living. He was a video game producer. Um, so I had the nerd bug, computers, video games, uh, and then, you know, you throw in the TV and movies in there with the rest of my family. Uh, so I, I've always been that way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm goofy in the clubhouse. I'm loose on myself. And a lot of the time, uh, it's easy for, easy for guys to pick on me (laughs) because of that. But I, I love it. You know, I, I want to be myself and I don't, I don't mind if I, I make some people laugh along the way. So can you give us an example of when Lucas Giolito's poking fun at himself? What are you doing? Um, uh, just my horrible dance moves. That's, that's always a good one. Uh, whenever I'm in the weight room to be able to stay motivated and get through my workouts, I'm always dancing around, messing around, um, staying loose and guys like to make fun of that sometimes. Yeah. The long gangly guys are not, we're not, we're not generally good dancers. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, we're doing this thing now in the dugout where sometimes we get a little dance party going right before the game. They threw me in the circle a few days ago and it was not a good sight. <laughs> it's Lucas Giolito earlier in the week here on The Score with Danny Parkins. Um, Giolito with a good sense of humor about himself, a good self-awareness, and has figured it out in full. In full. Trust this, Sox fans. I told you that a month ago. Trust it. Um, and he very well could be the starting pitcher for the American League in the All-Star game. Could be. Giolito Verlander. Jose Barrios, Jake Odorizzi. Guys like that. It's just, it's an awesome story. And you know how old Lucas Giolito is? Because he's been through so much. The former number one pick who was just coming off Tommy John, much heralded in Washington, came up, was bad, went back down, came back up one more time, was bad again, got traded, was little and bad here, then another offseason. Then he had a full season last year and was bad, and then an offseason, and now he's here. It sounds like a lot. It feels like a lot. And he's just 24 years old. It's crazy, right? When you think about these guys' lives and how we follow along and the travails that they have and the amount that we talk about them and the different narratives that take place during their lives and careers. And, oh, by the way, he's 24. What were you doing at 24? I'll tell you what I was doing. It involved a lot of Tecmo Super Bowl. My hair was long. I was bartending. I was working at a hardware store. uh, And I was an intern for McNeil and Boers at 4949 West Belmont. That's what I was doing at 24. Lucas Giolito has been through the ringer of an entire MLB career and been forced to learn and adjust like a grown-up. My God. At 24, I wished pot was legal. Just had to wait a long time. <laughs> finally, though, finally, we're here as a... As a, as a people. This hour on The Score is brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their new website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. I want you to think about young baseball players that you have given up on. And maybe you were wrong to have given up on them. Or maybe you were right and you wished your team had given up on them as well. And we could just keep it to this decade. Hell, it's 2019. We've all uh, watched a bunch here, haven't we? Text me at 67011. Tell me a young player you gave up on and you wish you hadn't. I mean, mine is well-documented. I have a shirt. Adam, have you ever seen my shirt? It says, my name is Matt, and I once wanted to trade Javier Baez for pitching. I have not seen that shirt. Yeah, because it's the truth. And one night, I was on Twitter a couple years ago, and I, I tweeted it. My wife says I should get a shirt that says, my name is Matt. 
and or my girlfriend at the time. I said, my girlfriend says I should get a, a shirt that says my name is Matt, and I once wanted to trade Javier Baez for pitching. And somebody made me the shirt and sent it to me. It's now one of my favorite shirts. And she has one that says my husband's name is Matt, and he once wanted to trade it. At least you're willing to admit your mistakes. Dude, you have to. You must. You must. This is a ridiculous game to try and scout and predict. And the best guys in the game get it wrong the majority of the time. Mike Trout went 21st, right? 21st or 23rd. All I remember is that Jarrett Mitchell went to the White Sox before him. You know, so it's difficult. So sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you just can't quit on somebody. And that's where I am. That's where I am, and I know I'm not alone on the player I'm going to talk about. You want to talk on Hit and Run? You can at 312-644-6767. Phone lines are wide open. And 670-11 via text. At Matt Spiegel 670 is how you tweet me on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. Now the young right-hander rocks and brings it 3-2. A swing and a drive. Deep right field. It's got a chance. Gone. Kyle Schwarber, a line drive home. I can't do it. I can't give up on Kyle Schwarber. It's hit and run on 670 the score. I guess I need another t-shirt. My name is Matt and I can't give up on Kyle Schwarber. (laughs) I've got the Baez t-shirt. I just can't. I mean, that at bat was so unbelievable. 11th pitch. He fouled six balls off. There was a foul home run. A ball that just blasted um, in there. Stays back in it. He was down 1-2 in the count, by the way. Worked it full. Fouled six off. And in the midst of that at bat, he also rifled a foul ball into the stands that, to him, I'm sure, felt similar to Albert Almora's rifle into the stands in Houston because Schwarber, like, winced. And he turned his head. He's like, oh, man, he didn't even want to look. Couldn't even, couldn't even watch it. And so that, that's all part of the at-bat. And then he gets back in there, calms himself down, and it's the 11th pitch, and he homers. It's, there's so much there that leads you to believe that he could be so much better than he has been statistically. I mean, just don't you understand why they don't give up on him? I mean, even if you're somebody who really thinks, man, they ought to should have traded him for Andrew Miller back then, or given you know, found a way to give him up and you know get get somebody, get a great young reliever, whatevs. You understand why they don't give up. Remember the horrific injury, okay? As we talk about makeup and like mental strength that it takes to deal with in this freaking game. I mean, look at what this this guy's already been through. The injury in 2016, if you don't remember it, if you don't have it in the right context, the details, he tore two different ligaments in the same knee and sprained the ankle badly. Some thought maybe he'd never run again, never be able to play again, because when there's multiple ligaments involved, the rehab should take a long, long time, significantly longer than six months. But no, six months later, he plays in and helps them win a World Series. You know, and of course, there's the postseason home runs that came before that. Obviously, after the World Series, things went to hell and leadoff got in his head and he had to go to the minors. But guess what? He endured that, too. And he came back. 
He's been through so much. Talk about a guy in Giolito who's been through a lot as we're talking. Think about all the ups and downs we've watched in Kyle Schwarber. But you've seen the mental toughness again and again and again. And they've obviously seen the personal stuff. Remember that after that injury, and this was in stories at the time, Schwarber was texting Theo saying, saying, we got to make sure the team wins. And can I stay with the team while I rehab? Is that possible? And that's all Schwarber was interested in. Okay. So look, they love him personally. It's dangerous to emotionally love the guy, but makeup is a big part of this game. And then, oh, by the way, look at him at the plate. Still. The stroke is so short and so fast. The setup is so simple. That's the part. Like these things. And then the power is so enormous. His patience and his willingness to accept walks. Sometimes he's too damn willing to accept walks. This is a problem. He's got Johan Moncada disease with two strikes. Moncada doesn't have that disease anymore. Schwarber needs to, to, to lose that disease. And he, I think he can, because here's the thing. Have you watched him into the opposite field lately? Javier Baez is number one in terms of opposite field hitting on this team. I'll check again um, at the break, but on fan graphs, you can do multiple splits and stuff. I think that Schwarber is number two. Last time I looked, he was number two in opposite field hitting in batting average to the opposite field. He can shorten up and just place the ball in left field every once in a while. He should do it more, especially with two strikes. Become Anthony Rizzo. Stop watching and hoping to get a call that you're not going to get because they don't have the respect for you for whatever reason. Be more aggressive with two strikes. But he has the ability to poke it into the opposite field. I'm not giving up. And then the power is, is obviously there. Also, with the, with the injury and with everything else, look what he's done in left field. This is now this is a left fielder you don't run on now. How many times have you seen what looked like short doubles be held to singles because guys don't bother to run on him? It's amazing. In terms of his arm to the plate, it's, uh, it's a feared element. I mean, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's Dave Winfield, okay? But in terms of left fielders in MLB, this is beyond a serviceable left fielder now. He's not a butcher out there at all, and he's beyond serviceable. He's, he's pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, sometimes he can get trouble on balls that hit over his head or balls that he's got to go back on. We've seen that. But because it's left field, it usually doesn't cost you too much. Hard to turn doubles into triples with a ball over your head in left field because third base is so close. And overall, just his improvement there. So I, I, I can't give up on him. And I admit that in full. I'll take it. I'll own that. After the game yesterday, here's Joe Madden talking about Kyle Schwarber's development and, and really the great at-bats um, multiple times from Schwarber there and in some previous games as well. That's what it's supposed to look like. And not because of the home run, what he's doing at the plate right now. Uh, we need to keep that uh, in a jar because that looks really good. So it's what he's doing at the plate. It's what he's doing there. And, it, it's, and you see it. You see the length of at-bats. You see the grind. I'm telling you, all he's got to do is get a little more aggressive with two strikes and, and do that opposite field thing that he has figured out how to do. He has figured out how to do that. He knows it. So, man, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on him. Here's John Lester after the game talking about the growth of Kyle Schwarber. I mean, we've all seen what he's able to do as far as working the count. You know, it seems like now he's just not missing the pitch he's supposed to hit. You know, I feel like 
he gets frustrated when that, that pitch comes and he misses it or fouls it off. Um, right now he's seems like he's knock on wood, he's locked in and, and doing well and you know, we all know he knows the strike zone, he can he can work walks, but you know, when he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark that just adds a whole other dynamic to our lineup. Interesting way to talk about it from John Lester. Really glad we played that. That he's waiting for his pitch and now when he's getting it, he's hitting it. Because obviously that's the whole key. As, as Lester says, he knows how to work the strike zone. He knows how to accept his walks and stuff like that. But wait for your pitch. Get yours, right? I don't know what you cheer when you're at a baseball game. I was when was watching my stepdaughter play softball this year, and just I loved that experience of being a softball dad this year. And they went to the Division III NCAA tournament, which was awesome. And the whole time. But I ended up, as, as I'm there cheering everybody on and her friends and her teammates, all right, get yours. Get yours. Get your pitch. Wait, don't give in and swing at something that's not yours. And when you do get yours, hit the hell out of it, right? I remember when Barry Bonds was the most ridiculous, absurd hitter any of us have ever seen. Yes, with the help of the cream and the clear. But he was ridiculous. Bonds used to get like two pitches to hit per series. Like they would walk him so many times and pitch around him so many times and try to bait him into hitting pitches that were not his over and over and over and over again. And maybe twice a series he'd get a pitch to hit and he would destroy it. Because every time he saw it, he put his best swing on it. That's what Lester's talking about. Hey, Schwarbs, all right, work your strike zone, do your thing. But when you get your one to hit, blister it. And these days, he is. Texture says, Kyle Schwarber's a better left fielder than Marcelo Ozuna. <laughs> he sure looked like it yesterday. Ozuna played that Baez double into a triple, and then he played the Victor Caratini flare into a bases-clearing double. Bases loaded, nobody out, man. It's a flare down the left field line. You're the left fielder. If you have to let it bounce and give up one run, or for God's sakes, even two, do so. You can't allow it to be a bases-clearing double as it gets by you, Marcel. You know, I was watching that, and I was thinking as he was sliding, I'm like, why is he sliding? Why? I, you know, hey, look, I'm not a professional baseball player. Obviously, never will be. I'm not here to claim that I can track fly balls better than... Ozuna, yeah, but why are you sliding there? Why? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, I, I, you know, he's there's he's trying to make a great catch and then figuring he can drop he can trap it if if he doesn't get there. But he he gauged his own body and his timing horrifically. Some more text of this at six seventy eleven. Too many fans are impatient. Most fans think they know baseball. Don't I don't know when a young catcher transitioned to playing left field. Too many Cubs fans immediately trashed him at a time he was learning to be an outfielder at the MLB level. Imagine that. Now he's an above average outfielder. He was learning, and it was ugly, and it was costly. I'm not saying it wasn't costly. You remember how bad he was in left field in the NLCS against the Mets? He was brutal out there. Now the whole team was bad, and they got swept. But, I mean, he, he was real bad out there. He's not anymore. And when guys learn new positions at the bigs, it is, it's a crazy challenge. How about when they learn to hit at the bigs, like Javier Baez? I was asking you uh, earlier, like, what players you gave up on and you have not, who you shouldn't have, or vice versa. And, like, I was not alone in giving up on Javi. This one said... Easy one, Javi. That swing and the lack of discipline was not a good combo. My, was I wrong. Adam, look up Javier Baez's stats when he first came up for the cup of coffee. 
2014, I think it was, and I guess 2015, when he came up, the first time up, the number of strikeouts as compared to the number of at-bats or plate appearances is, is just just alarming. And as you watched that, it, it, you were I was not alone in saying he has to start so early to catch up to big league pitching. I don't know how he's going to do this. So his first time facing MLB pitching 2014, 213, 229, excuse me, plate appearances, uh-huh. 95 strikeouts, 95 strikeouts and 229 plate appearances. That's uh, how many at bats total 213 to 230. Oh yeah. <laughs> 229 plate appearances, 213 at bats. I can do that math. That's 16 times you reached base. That didn't count as at bats. That means the walks were 16 max. And I'm sure they were lower than that. It was 15 walks, okay. so 95 strikeouts and 15 walks. Yeah. Not, not a good ratio. It didn't seem possible. It just didn't seem plausible. That's 2014. In 2015, and that's Joe Madden's first year, Madden took Baez under his wing, said glowing things about him, worked with him very specifically. Javi worked with Manny Ramirez. Um, he got better, slowly got better, and now look what he is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Now he's blasting home runs to the opposite field. He, he, he found the confidence to know that his bat speed was fast enough that he didn't have to wait so long. I didn't see it. I didn't know. I'm an idiot. That's why I'm not a GM. Sox fan here. I was pretty well done with Lucas Giolito. I thought he'd be in the bullpen halfway through this year. Oops. That's Derek from Wisconsin. You're not alone, Derek. A lot of people were done. Another texter says, does that mean we shouldn't give up on Reynaldo Lopez? No, you should not give up on Reynaldo Lopez. You shouldn't. You've seen too much goodness from him. Last year, there was goodness for a while. This year, there's been moments of it. You know, he needs that breakthrough. He needs that breakthrough that, that, um, that Giolito has had, where you find your game plan, you find your starting point. And you lock in on that and you realize, okay, that's what I have to do every time. And then you consistently do that every time and you adjust from there. I don't know where Ronaldo's going to learn it. Lucas didn't really learn it from Don Cooper. That's another story, but he didn't really learn it from Don Cooper. He went back to his high school coach, the guy who told Lucas Giolito that the four-seam fastball that he had is what he should be throwing and just give up on the two-seamer. You know who told him that? Who told him that his four-seam fastball had terrific carry, the absence of drop? Danny Farquhar told Lucas Giolito that because he learned it in Tampa Bay where they were going crazy on analytics and Farquhar was into it. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, I was hearing about your four-seamer. Like, I saw these charts and you were up there. Do you know how good your four-seamer is? Throw that. Throw that. You know, and I, I, you know, then everybody supports from there. And, you know, and I'm not saying Coop gets no credit. I'm just saying Giolito, as his own CEO, is the one who figured this out. And that's sometimes what these guys have to do. Texture says, uh, Speaks, remember, it was the Nationals who gave up on Giolito, and now look at him. Well, they, they, got Adam, they got Adam Eaton, who they wanted. I see that in Carl Edwards. Yes, I know one's a reliever, the other's a starter, but the talent is the same. I hope the Cubs don't give up on CJ. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that the talent is the same. They're very different kinds of pitchers. Uh, Carl is a fastball, curveball guy, has established that, knows what he is. His four-seamer, or his fastball is good. It has rise to it, absolutely. Um, and his curveball has terrific break. Um, but in terms of being your own CEO, in terms of figuring it out, making the adjustments, in terms of the mental maturation, they're different guys. Very, very different guys. 
This from uh, Vandy. Your name is Matt, and you gave up on Golden Tate. That's true. So, like, what was this a decade ago, ten years ago? Me and Vandy are hanging out, um, and we're watching a Notre Dame game with Golden Tate and Michael Floyd as the wide receivers. And we made a bet there on who was going to be the better pro as a wide receiver. I took Golden Tate because I loved Golden Tate. Because I've always had a soft spot for short wide receivers who just bust their ass and are smart as hell and run perfect routes and know what they're doing. And Vandy took the big-bodied, high-speed weapon, Michael Floyd. About two years in, I conceded on the trade, I can, or on the deal, the bet. I said, all right, you win with Michael Floyd. And I was dead wrong. I gave up on Golden Tate too early. But I was right on Golden Tate as we watched them that day. Okay, Vandy? All right. Glad we did that. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. The Western Conference champion Chicago Wolves would like to thank their loyal fans for making this 25th anniversary so special. Thank you and see you in October. Bottom of the hour also brought to you by Lakeside Bank. In banking, everyone talks about technology, but there are times you need a banker. Lakeside Bank has all the tech the big guys have and personal service. Get your own Lakeside Banker. They're always here when you need them. Lakeside Bank, it's about time. Ron Coomer is going to join us to talk some Cubs and some hot stove cool music at the top of the hour. Uh, But before that, you'll hear from tonight's starting pitcher at Wrigley Field next on 670 The Score. Hey, right now, if you're caller six to the scores contest line at 312-591-6700, You'll win a pair of tickets to the Chicago Dogs game on Sunday, June 30th, which includes a Chicago-style hot dog and a chance to throw out the first pitch. I'll be broadcasting Hit and Run live from Impact Field before the game, so come hang out and enjoy Chicago Dogs baseball. Um, Been very fun for me to get a chance and do pregame and postgame for the Cubs radio network right here on 670. The score have enjoyed that greatly. There's a... um, there's something you have to do, which is go get a player interview before the game. Earlier in the show, I played you some of John Lester, who I spoke with uh, after um, the day after his start. So I guess that was what? That was Tuesday I spoke with Lester, and that was fun. On Wednesday, I wanted to speak to Carlos Gonzalez. This was after his first game against the Rockies. And it, just to let you in on how these things work sometimes, couldn't get cargo. He was busy. Um, and he wasn't in there for long. And then I wanted to get Kyle Hendricks, who had pitched beautifully the day before. He wasn't around. And then I went out to wait for the guys to finish BP, and I couldn't get anybody. And it was like the the, the time the, the time keeps ticking, and you're like, what the hell am I going to do? And Peter Gammons was there. And I instead spoke to Peter Gammons that day. And I'm glad I did, because I asked him about Craig Kimbrell. And if you were listening to pregame that night, I, I had tweeted out that you should hear it. Um, Gammons talked about it like it was a done deal. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard it in his in his voice and in his phrasing. You know, I have mixed feelings about it, about how he'll do here. You know, and he was he was talking about it like it was done. Um, and then it was done by the third inning. It was done. So anyway, what also happens in that pregame show is that we air a two to three minute interview from Len Casper from the opposing team's locker room and. Len loves baseball. He doesn't need to do this. He loves to do it. So he goes to the opposing team's clubhouse, and he might talk to a manager. He might talk to an interesting player. And this is him with Adam Wainwright, the now venerable starting pitcher, Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals, who showed up first. Anybody remember when you first saw Adam Wainwright with the Cardinals, what his job was? Closer. 
And they won the World Series with Adam Wainwright as the hot young prospect who came up and was used in relief and was the closer. And that's that's we've seen that a lot. David Price was closer slash reliever for Tampa Bay when they made the World Series. So anyway, Wainwright came up first as a closer, had big, big, high leverage, high pressure moments right away in the bigs before he came a starter. And Len asked him if that ended up being a good thing for his professional development. Yeah, it was because it showed me the importance of every pitch. You know, when you face in those tough situations as a starter, if you're pitching worth your salt, you're going to face those tough situations all throughout the year. You're going to have bases loaded, nobody out. You're going to have big spots where maybe it maybe not the ninth inning of the game, but maybe the game was swung or decided in the second inning when you had bases loaded and Rizzo up to bat and you got him out or whatever it was. Whereas if he hits a three-run homer or grand slam or something, the game's, you know, all but over. It was important for me to learn conviction and how important each and every single pitch was uh, to take every single pitch like it was going to be the last pitch I ever threw and to kind of parlay that into as a starter it worked out well for me because my conviction level went way up the importance level on each pitch went way up but I got some valuable experience in big situations so that you know any situation I face now as a starter I've probably been through something bigger. It's funny as I look back at your career in the early days I think of the curveball to Carlos Beltran in 2006 to clinch the pennant I'm guessing that's still uh, up there for you in terms of big pitches you've made yeah it's probably the pitch that everyone you know knows me by you know when you look at what the blues are doing right now i think we had won 10 championships or nine championships before that but it had been 24 years you know so people were kind of hungry they were starving for that next uh, world series championship and so um when i was uh when i was able to make that pitch to carlos you know that was the thing that i mean I, you know the next that wasn't even the world series right the, the next i closed out the world series also but no one talks about that okay. no one talks about that it wasn't nearly as dramatic it wasn't base loaded bottom of the ninth game seven game seven <laughs> the with the winning runs out on the bases and the best hitter on the planet up the bat which wasn't that way and so that was my most famous one you have two gold gloves and a silver slugger, but you can only keep one award. As a pitcher, do you want the defensive award or the hitting award? Oh, the hitting award. <laughs> I knew you'd yeah, say that. The hitting award all day long. <laughs> I, got, I got the gold gloves from covering first because I, I pitch in a lot, and I used to throw hard cutters and fastballs in a lot, and so a lot of grounders are first, and they would flip it. Albert would always flip me the ball, and so um, now these guys, they want to take it themselves. You know, They don't trust the best athlete on, on the field, the starting pitcher, to, to, to make the play, so they take it themselves. But, you know, Albert used to flip that over there to me so, Zach Greinke asked me one time, he said, how is it possible that you would win a gold glove when I'm still playing? You know, dead serious. And I said, let me show you how. Catch, cover first, catch, cover first, catch, cover first. And that's how I, that's how I did I just led, you know, I had to lead the league in chances. But if you don't make mistakes and you lead the league in chances, you got a good good chance to win it. But absolutely the hitting award. Absolutely, not even close. Not even close. That's Adam Wainwright who's going to be going tonight um, for the Cardinals. And that's uh, an Espen game tonight, but you'll hear it right here on the radio broadcast with our buddy Ron Coomer is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Um, somebody asked this last week as the Cubs were playing the Cardinals, that is there any active battery that has played together longer than Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright? And that is a terrific question. I don't know the answer to that. So, Because what catcher has been anywhere as long as Molina has been in St. Louis. Buster Posey came up after that, right? And is there any giant that is still there? Is Bumgarner and Posey the longest battery other just, than that? I was just going to ask. That's the first thing that came to Mad Bum and Buster Posey. Sure. I don't know. Felix Hernandez has been around a long time, but Kurt Suzuki isn't there anymore. He's been on like nine different teams since then. 
I bet Mad. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Molina Wainwright is 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 number one in MLB, and Bumgarner Posey is number two. I could be wrong. I mean, what other pitchers have been in the same place for as long as these guys? This is findable. Um, so maybe my, some of my stat head pals out there, Chris Camp, if you're listening, Scott from Davenport, if you're listening, looking for current pitcher catcher who have been together or thrown more innings, maybe. You know, I'm looking at a blog right now about um, a thousand innings for a pitcher and a catcher together. And there's a ton of names on this list. But Molina had it with both Carpenter and Wainwright, Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright. Jorge Posada had it with Andy Pettit and Mike Mussina. You know, so there's there, there are a few modern ones in there, but these days as everybody's changing teams, there's just, just not a ton. Man, I, I love lists like this because you look at the teammates and you have to think about it from the teammate perspective. Rick Dempsey of the Orioles caught a thousand innings with Mike Flanagan and Dennis Martinez and Scott McGregor. Love stuff like that, right? Lance Parrish, sorry, Lance Parrish, the former Tiger, had a thousand innings with Milt Wilcox, Jack Morris, and Dan Petrie, all three of whom were on that 87 World Series team. So I don't know if anybody out there wants to look it up. You can. And help me out. Uh, Dylan Covey is going to the injured list for the White Sox, says he felt some discomfort after his last start, and a lot of people buzzing and wondering if that means Dylan Cease is coming up. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess no on that from the people that I've talked to and from what, um, what the White Sox developmental philosophy is. I'm going to go ahead and guess no on that. I think it's later in the year. I don't know for sure. But the million-dollar question in terms of pitching development is, let's say you've got an innings max for your guy. Let's say you've got 150 innings max, and he's at 100 innings um, in, in June. Do you let him just go on a normal routine for the next 50 innings, which could be, what, nine starts, whatever it is? Do you let him go on normal routine and then just shut him down cold? Or do you stretch him out a little bit, take a day off here and there? And let him go deeper into the year so he gets a feel for the grind and the length of the big league season. I think it's the latter. Okay, the White Sox history would show you that a, a lot of times they've done the latter. Did it with Chris Sale, done it with others. Buy him an extra day here or there. Stretch them out through the course of the season. Michael Kopech came up and was here to finish the year last year. Would have been here to finish out the whole season if he didn't get hurt. I, I personally think you'll see a similar thing with Cease. A lot of people have been saying June. My gut tells me late July or August. And then you'll see him here for the rest of the year. But we'll see. Don't know. 670 The Score is where you are. Let's talk to Ron Coomer from the Cubs broadcast booth next on 670 The Score. This is Hit and Run. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.